Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 96. I hope you're all doing well. This is the first episode of 2024. Um, Maybe for some of you guys, you probably listened to the episode 95 i think it was which was the five big ideas within the industry of 2023 and like a kind of a 2023 recap you probably i uploaded that on new year's eve so you probably listened to that on uh in 2024 but this episode i actually drove up to the north of ireland uh up to a guy called phil graham who's a business coach within the industry and i got to record an in-person podcast with him um phil is someone that I've been aware of for probably just over a decade now within the industry. He's done many good things from like the bodybuilding scene to personal training and online training to you'll hear his story about some other stuff. And then he's now a very, very successful business coach within the industry where he coaches other coaches. I haven't really had any business coaches on this podcast and I probably won't have many business coaches or maybe any other business coaches on this podcast there is some there that will talk some people that will talk about business um and i obviously talk about business from time to time i know some of you don't necessarily enjoy that that's absolutely fine uh but i the reason i don't have any people on like that that often is because i don't really most of the people that you see within the industry that are coaches coaching coaches within the industry are failed trainers or failed uh physios or failed whatever they couldn't do, really do a good enough job to build a business themselves because they didn't have the skills and then they decided to try and teach other people that but phil isn't that he's done really good things along the way and now he's coaching some very successful coaches and helping them build really big businesses um it was really cool for me to i just wanted to go up and hang out with him in person and that was cool for me to arrive at his house and see <laughs> just what he has done there like he has built a house that is absolutely amazing he also has like a separate gym and offices and a boardroom and a podcast room and then he also has like a separate restaurant slash slash function room like whatever you're imagining just like multiplied by 10 it was it was amazing it's like a massive fire pit and beautiful land and all this stuff and it was really cool for me to see someone that just like said like here's my vision and and went and actually did it and and yeah that kind of stretched that kind of stretched me and inspired me a little bit and it was worthwhile even just for me to drive up and see that and hang out with phil for even those couple of hours probably so so yeah i always said that this podcast was kind of from the very beginning i said like 50 percent of this podcast is is selfish for me it's it's talking to people that i really want to talk to it's asking the questions that i want to ask even the solo episodes to be honest half the time they're just for me it's uh i get a question off someone and i realize that i haven't really articulated or answered this question in as much detail as i would like to and so i just press play on the mic and i try and answer it and sometimes it might come off relatively sometimes i might articulate it relatively well sometimes many times probably not but regardless the cool thing is with podcasting is when i turn off the mic at the end of it sometimes i'm cringing but 
like I definitely will have learned something either way. I will have learned like that that wasn't so good. I actually didn't answer that very well or whatever. And I don't I don't mean like I answer I try and answer everything. I I don't talk about things that I'm not comfortable or relatively well versed in. But sometimes the the things that I'm talking about I ha- actually just haven't I haven't answered them in long form. And so as everyone knows until you try and do that you don't really know how organized your thoughts actually are so some of them solo podcasts are for me they're they're selfish hopefully they're valuable for everyone but they're there's some of what i'm doing is a selfish endeavor some of the guests is is selfish but i know that if i like it other people will too and then the other 50 percent of the podcast was always like okay there's people here that I think their work is valuable and I think it's important that I having I have some influence I have some influence with people that are listening I think it's important that their message gets out there to find the right person at the right time that might not be everyone but I think there's certain people on this in this on on, on my podcast talking that you will not hear from many other people. You won't hear, like if you're in the SSC industry, you won't hear from people like Craig Mallet, let's say, or Soshi or people like that, or just just different. You can look through the guests. There's a wide variety of people talking about topics that I think are so, so important. So Phil is another one of those. And as the episode goes on, it gets more and more practical, I would say, where we kind of, or he mostly dives into like just, how you would actually build a business from scratch. Like if he was starting out from today for 2024, what would I do? Here's the order I would do it. And here's how I would build it up. So as it gets on, it gets uh, more and more practical. So I hope you liked the episode. Um, give us some feedback if you do, or if you don't, that's absolutely fine too. Um, yeah, I just try and do the best I can and um, talk to the best people that I think are are valuable. And um, yeah, that's why I went and spoke to Phil and I really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you will too. So without further ado, here is Phil Graham, everyone. Uh, Phil, thank you very much for, I'm, well, I, was, I usually say joining me, but I'm joining you here. So thanks for coming on. Dave, thanks very much for having me on. I know uh, how much time and organization these podcasts take and I've ho- only heard nothing but good words. So I'm ready to rock and roll and share some great value with your audience and all the coaches and therapists that are going to be listening. So, thank you, man. Yep, I don't do too many uh, in-person podcasts. They're usually online, which is easier. But um, I said we're a few hours up the road, and yeah. even just coming up and seeing the setup you have here is worth it. So, thank you very much. Uh, do you want to give people a little bit of a background? It can be a short or long as you want. Really. Yeah, I think it's important to get some context first of all because you know most people look at me now as an entrepreneur and don't really know the whole backstory of everything. So in a very concise background, it all started when I was 16. I was overweight, out of shape, didn't value physical activity whatsoever. I was the kind of guy that, you know, by nine o'clock in the morning, I'd consumed like two and a half thousand calories preschool. Uh, We have up here an Ulster fry. I'm sure you know what an Ulster fry is. It's definitely better than an Irish fry, right? (laughs) So you got got pseudo-bread, potato bread, you got bacon, you got eggs, you got, you just got everything on it. So I used to have that before school along with, you know, Club Rock Shandy. I'm sure you've tasted Club Rock Shandy, Mm -hmm. Highland toffee bars and everything else. And uh, I remember going into school one day and my eyesight was blurry. I was going to the toilet. I felt massively dehydrated. Long story short, went to the doctors, got checked out, turned out I had type 1 diabetes. And it was from that moment onward where I was told that the only things that were going to keep me alive or healthy were 
nutrition, exercise, mindset, medication, and lifestyle management. So I literally became engrossed in um, learning about those things. And long story short, went to Queen's University Belfast, and my dream was to become a dietitian. I was just fascinated with food and food chemistry and physiology and all this kind of stuff. And that opened me up into the world of exercise and training. And I remember I started training in the most hardcore bodybuilding gym that you could ever imagine. And I was this overweight, like 16 year old kid that ventured in at the top of the gym where I started in the recumbent bike and slowly started to work down to the Smith machine. And then I eventually worked my way down to the, um, the weightlifting area where you could hear all this, the, the, the grunts of like guys that were clearly on three mil a train a week. <laughs> all right. And, uh, I fell in love with it and I became a very successful junior bodybuilder, um, which was a very complex task because with diabetes, I had to manage blood sugar levels. I was, you know, blood sugar isn't solely dependent upon the food that you eat. It's your moods, your cortisol, your stress, the the time of day that you go to bed. There's so many factors, your hydration. And I became like, literally OCD about writing down my blood glucose levels, my moods, my, my, my food, the quantities of food. It was meticulous. This was all before like my fitness pal. So I was very good at tracking and noticing trends and stuff like that with my body. And, you know, the goal of being a bodybuilder and getting down to a very lean percentage body fat whilst also being dehydrated and also being very muscular was a huge physiological challenge, especially with diabetes, which is a catabolic disease. So long story short, I love challenge. I threw myself into it. And it was almost like my life's purpose that took me away from all the constraints of being diagnosed as a type one diabetic. All I ever saw around me was like just victimhood. If you want to see victimhood, go to a diabetic clinic and look around. And I decided to do something with my life and the bodybuilding gave me purpose. It gave me structure. And I was also learning about it, which was fascinating. So I was learning about it for myself. That really turned into a successful career and I was in flex muscle and fitness as you know junior Mr. Northern Ireland junior Mr. Britain junior Mr. Universe all these kinds of trophies and whatever and people started to recognize me as one this guy that was going to university and studying nutrition two I was clearly in shape and you know my performance was impressive so that really created the almost the advertising for people to come up to me and go hey can you help me get in shape can you create a training program for me can you write a diet for me and I was obviously you know studying dietetics so I was in a position to you know give nutritional advice and um long story short my first client was my mom and after that it was her friends after that it was people in the gym and my dream was to become you know a dietitian and you know I realized I made more in one week with selling diet and nutrition and training programs than I could in a year of being a dietitian with all the red tape and everything like that and um the rest is history. I was one of the first online coaches in the UK. I realized that there was a massive gap in the market for just really good quality information and insights on how to build muscle with diabetes. It was almost like the only thing that I had was Diabetes UK and a government website. You know, it's like going to an action cancer website and like, you know, you're reading some something from somebody that doesn't have diabetes that has never trained or lifted a weight. And it was just really hard. So I had to like scar the internet, look at everything from journals right the whole way through to like, you know, underground stuff and forums and whatever, plus my own knowledge and understanding. I was just really hungry for it. I was really hungry to build muscle and be the best bodybuilder that I could be. And every 
individual that's been an athlete or wanted to do their best in business will know that curiosity is a real superpower. Like, you know, if you're curious about something, you will really go to the ends of the earth to find answers. And I wrote the world's first encyclopedia on how to build muscle with diabetes, the Diabetic Muscle and Fitness Guide. It, it still sells this day, every single day of the, of the week. Um, and it was really a revolutionary piece that, you know, has brought a lot of people together and, you know, taught them how to do it safely and properly and make their own decisions with it. So um, on top of that, I built a very successful personal training business uh, in my early 20s. I was one of the first online coaches and other coaches started to really just ask me like, Hey, how did you do this? Um, and that naturally turned into me coaching coaches, coaching gym teams. And then that naturally turned into speaking at seminars, running my own seminars, events, expos. And, you know, that's the one thing that really accelerated my career was speaking on stage. Um, it's the single biggest power move if you're looking to build credibility or get in front of people and have leverage is to, to, to speak in a group setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just had this very good business brain that was able to look at, one, how to get clients, two, how to sell the thing that you were really good at, and three, how to deliver it at scale, um, and how to find constraints inside you know a business model that was holding somebody back from making more sales or you know, having more freedom. And I was just really good at analyzing and seeing that. Like I had like an x-ray vision for looking at a business and knowing, right, there's a pattern, bump, do that. You know, and whether that constraint was a limiting belief or that was actually a a skill set issue or it was a, you know, an operational inefficiency or something like that, I was able to just very quickly analyze it. And uh, long story short, started coaching coaches and started my first mastermind like, nine ten years ago and yeah it's kind of snowballed ever since and uh we run fitness entrepreneur and i it was all termed under authority network and power but fitness entrepreneur is a collective organization for it and it's the the world's largest organization for fitness business growth and development her health and fitness business growth so we work with coaches from the whole range of startups right the whole way through to multi-seven figures um we help them with their well, their vision and their belief, their mindset, uh, everything around the, you know, the, the, the mental functioning of a, of a high-performing CEO and founder and how to really think like a business owner, not like a coach. Mm-hmm. And that's a massive shift that, you know, coaches need to make. And it, it can trigger some people because some people pride themselves in the whole, I'm a whole coach thing, coach. but that's not really going to serve the world what is going to serve the world is actually stepping out of that. I'm a coach and being able to take your unique philosophies, beliefs, expertise, and be able to systematize it, be able to put it into some kind of system that allows you to put people into it and get results out without it depending upon you. Because if it's solely dependent upon your energy and your time, the quality of service is going to be wavering. It's going to be unpredictable and there is going to come a point in your life where you're injured, you're tired, you've got life stresses that are on that essentially ruin that. So you need to look at building the right team around you and taking on the right clients in order for that to be very predictable and very accurate. And there's a lot more responsibility that comes with being an entrepreneur because you've got to build the system. You've got to take on more clients. You've also got to build a team and all of those kinds of things. 
but it will grow you as a person in terms of responsibility and decision making. And it will also as well allow you to reach and impact more people, which essentially is your legacy. And, you know, every coach in the planet wants to help people. But if you can help more people, then that's essentially going to accelerate it. Mm-hmm. So the real secret is, is how do we help as many people as quickly as possible, get the results that they're after uh, without compromising on quality, without compromising on on cost and affordability? And how, how can we manage all of that together and continue to sustain it? And that's the most important word in anything is, can you sustain it? Mm-hmm. You know, so we've really... You know, we've 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 changed a lot of a lot of lives, built a lot of really successful businesses with that, and um, yeah, it's a very exciting space to play in. So that's my life in kind of like a, <laughs> a nine minute kind of concise overview. Mm-hmm. Each one of those uh, periods could probably be a podcast on its own. Yeah, but I first uh, heard your name, Phil. Was I was actually working with Glanby Performance Nutrition? Ah, yes, yeah, a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. And I uh, didn't really like the job, to be honest, but I was in the sales rep side of things, more for the Southeast. Yeah. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know... So you had to work with, with Ka- Kieran, 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 yeah, yeah, Kieran, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Glanbia are an Irish company that own Optimum Nutrition, BSA, and some of the biggest mm. sports nutrition brands in the world. And I always heard your name. The guys were always trying to like get you involved with BSN or whatever it was. And yeah, maybe yeah. you were a little bit and then you weren't. And um, yeah. it was kind of other people you could pull in with like a, here's a free tub of protein type of thing and i yeah. don't think that was really working but then yeah. when i left um when i left that company it's probably like 10 years later and i just saw you online one day i was like what the fuck is this guy doing now yeah and suddenly it was just like it looked like a monster of a thing so <laughs> how, how does that i know you said the word snowball a few times but how does that even snowball to that because I, I do talk to people a lot about we do a bit a little bit of business consulting like on, yeah. on a very small level um and I talk about like consistency and how just good actions over years yeah. does compound a lot. Yeah, but like, yeah. It seems to have compounded a lot for you. So how does that happen? Yeah, it's it's definitely been extreme. Um, and it's on the, you know, it's on the, you know, you got a scale of, you know, the, the, look, there's, there's factors that have played into it. Um, definitely luck has played into it. Um, you know, I asked a, a billionaire once, like, what's the one greatest piece of advice that you could give me? And I was like this young, eager, 30-year-old kid. And he's like, uh, luck. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's massively underwhelming. Is there anything more? Yeah, what can I do with that? <laughs> but I start, well, I mean, I my scenario was very unique. So the diabetes, you know, I was in a very uncomfortable scenario in my life. I had an extreme amount of, unhappiness and pain with accepting that and fitness was my way out of that and that fitness routine and everything else really provided me with a great lifestyle and I did really really well at it and I suppose I wanted other people to benefit from what I was experiencing you know I was waking up every day going to train people which I enjoyed reading about stuff that I loved and getting paid for it Mm -hmm. so it was the whole concept of being able to live life on your own terms which is huge for me the, you know, the business is the vehicle that allows you to do that. And, you know, for anybody listening, it's like, you know, always ask yourself this question is, is the current opportunity vehicle that I'm in going to give me the life that I want? You've got to know what the life is that you actually want, first of all, and then ask that question. And if the answer is yes, stick with what you're doing. If the answer is no, you've got to be willing to start again. So um, with that, I, I, I suppose I looked at building a business. I, I kind of correlated it with the size that I grew it to with almost like personal development. So 
people are great for reading books and watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, but doing nothing with the information. Um, whereas when you're actively in the field building something and actually going to war every day and building something and fighting battles and coordinating and learning how to communicate and building and taking risks, um, I associated building a business with all of that. And it was a character building exercise for me. And initially, you know, it starts out with you want to make a bit of money, you want to make a bit of freedom. And then, you know, very few people can say that they've got that. I got all that and got all that out of my system. It's not a driver. It's a factor, but it's not a it's not a main overarching driver. The the overarching driver is something to wake up to and get stuck into every day, challenges that are gonna grow me as an individual and entertainment. I find it very entertaining to build a business. I also don't find it that hard. I don't find building a business or getting customers or making sales hard at all. I find it very, very easy. And you know, my vision for things has always been relatively extreme. So I've always wanted to be the best at X, the best at Y. Mm-hmm. That always hasn't worked out, but I've always given my best and I've always wanted to do things to the best possible level. And at the same time with that, you know, I if I look at my behaviors, I, I'm just ruthlessly consistent. You know, I will show up um, I do not want to live a life like anybody else. I want to live my own life. And I suppose, you know, the whole concept, especially around this new personal brand now, it's called Life on Your Terms, is, you know, I want to be able to do stuff that I really love doing with people that I love doing. I want to have fun doing it. And I want it to create options. Like wealth is options. Uh, having a great business means that you've got options. Mm-hmm. And you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself to it in order to get that. And I'm a very long game person. You know, I'm willing to put in the work for years and years and years and not see any return. So there's a combination of vision, attitude, daily behaviors that have allowed that to happen. And, you know, the one thing that really was a cornerstone of it is, and even from my early days doing it when I was the most unleveraged, highly inefficient slash one-on-one guy ever, was I was really good at getting results, you know? Um... I mean, if you go to the fitness industry now, health and fitness industry, I mean, anybody that's doing high six figures or seven figures is either a client or has been a client. Um, and a lot of like pretty much all roads lead back to what I'm, what I've done. And, you know, if you even look at the the mentoring and education and consulting space now in, in fitness, in fitness business world, you know, 99.9% of those mentors are ex clients. So which has been really good at getting results. And then it's a matter of building the team and independent thinkers around you to be able to uh, to action on that. Yeah. And also grow it beyond you. You know, the quality and growth of your business is in direct correlation to the quality of thinkers and decision makers inside it that can work outside of you. So, yeah. You mentioned vision a couple of times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Someone asked me last year about what drives me and our, our business. And I said, actually, it's more fear than anything where... Mm. Uh, like for for example that job with Glanby and I had other jobs that I really didn't like I yeah. don't really work well under people I work really well with people but like sitting in an office or something like that doing yeah. working for someone else is really it actually almost makes me ill to think about having to de- live my life like that yeah. so I thought I like our what drives us or what drives me was almost twofold it's like something to run away from which is that and something to run towards which is like yeah building a better life and yeah. also helping lots of people. I yeah. don't, I don't have that 
cringe answer, which is like, I just want to help everyone in the world. No, mm. I want to have, build the best life possible for myself. Yeah. And I'm doing it in a way that also ha- happens to help a lot of people. But I guess you're a good person to ask, does, does the fear of something like that, of, of having to live a life like that, does that motivate you? And if so, or has it motivated you? And if so, does that ever go away? Because it's kind of, that fear has kind of gone away from me, but it's now been replaced by a fear of like, I could lose this business now. Mm. Yeah. And I could end up, yeah, like we're much more financially secure now, but the fear has almost just been replaced by another fear. Does that ever go away? I mean, you know, whenever you, whenever you look at your, whenever you look at your life and you look at all the things that you've been afraid of, they've all served you in some way, shape or form at some point. And when you start a business, usually it's out of fear of going broke, fear of not qualifying for a job and you need something to essentially pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. It's a great activation energy, but it's not a long-term sustainable fuel source, which essentially means that like, and this is a very important lesson about life is that when you initiate something out of fear of not being popular enough, fear of going broke, it actually installs fear into the construct of the whole thing that you're building. And believe it or not, that will resurface at some point. So when it resurfaces, then you run into a problem because you end up making decisions out of fear. And any decisions that are made out of fear are not sustainable, nor are they truth, if that makes sense. When I say that they're not truth, i.e. they're built on a distorted viewpoint of the world at a given point in time that eventually erodes and destroys itself. So initially when I started, fear of not being significant, fear of not having independence, uh, fear of always being controlled by somebody else were certainly factors in driving my life and my business ventures. However, over the course of that time period, I was realizing that I was growing as an individual and that fear kept cropping up and I was never truly, one, satisfied with what I was doing, two, I never felt safe, and three, there was just this glaring dissatisfaction with how I was living. So that's whenever I really started to begin to work on me. And, you know, one of my friends uh, iron he's called she says you know fix the, fix the the owner fix the business so and I did a lot of work on myself and I was like okay I don't I don't want to be operating from fear anymore mm-hmm. I want to be operating from abundance so you know if you look at it from the perspective of masculine and feminine the masculine is very good at going out and going after things and hunting things down and fucking and all this kind of stuff or the feminine's much more receptive and open to receiving so you know you can initially challenge channel a lot of that energy into creation and building. But then when you get to a point where you've got skills, you've got money, you've got a system, you've got a mechanism, to be able to then operate from abundance requires a different gear. So if you can alternate between those gears and know how to, especially you recreate a new one that you've never operated before, it actually opens up the opportunities that you can pull from your life and your business. So knowing how to open up that 
receptivity, knowing how to open up that, giving yourself permission that you're worthy of it or whatever is so important because most people approach business thinking that they're not worthy of more money. They're not worthy of um, more status. They're not worried of more, you know, fame or whatever it is around what they do. So it's activating that, but also making sure that you're not letting your inner child run your business. So for example, if you look at the events in your life that were the most chaotic events in your life, whether it was your bullet as a kid, you had a big separation, you got cheated on, you got, your parents were bankrupt. That in itself is not truth. So that cannot be the main deciding factor behind everything that you do. And if it is, it will cause problems. So you have to be very good at taking the emotion out of it and becoming ultra objective, but also most importantly, trusting in yourself, realizing that it's okay to fail, realizing that failure is actually the the fuel for growth, change and innovation. And on the other side, like, you know, success, you weren't designed for full-time recreation. You weren't designed for full-time success. And it's actually a lot harder in business to overcome success than it is adversity. So, um, as an activation energy, fear is great, but it's not a long-term sustainable energy. And if you still have remnants of fear in everything that you do, despite obvious evidence and signs of success, materialistically, purpose-wise, etc., then you really have to look at who is that voice in my head? How can I have? How, how can I start to relinquish that, and transcend that, and actually calm it the fuck down? Because if your whole central nervous system, and you probably see this with movement has been conditioned to behave in a way when it's under a certain amount of stress or in a scenario or in an environment, it's going to create a condition. And if that condition continues, then it's going to get the same results. So you have to look at, uh, have some empathy for yourself. I have been thinking like this for a very long period of time. And in order for me to recondition myself to think in a different way, I need to see a different perspective to how I'm looking at the world and how I looked at any previous events that may have shaped who I am right now. Mm-hmm. And understand that when you double your business or treble your business, that's a different identity. So the current identity that's currently calling the shots essentially needs to transform and evolve to be able to handle it at a higher level. Yeah. So, you know, putting the work into doing that is critical. The reflection, the journaling, uh, you know, therapy, but most importantly, like, you know, throwing yourself in the fucking fire and taking action on the stuff that scares the shit out of you and going for it. You know, that's, you can do therapy all day long, journal all day long, read the daily stoic and get all spiritual and go and do ayahuasca and all that kind of bullshit. But a lot of, a lot of people just hide in that. You know, the real thing that's going to transform you is actually doing the thing, not thinking about the thing. And if there's one lesson that I could give everybody listening to this podcast is stop fucking thinking and start doing. You know, the the, the big thing that's really allowed me to become successful is I do a lot. I'm an aggressive and violent implementer, you know, um, even despite sometimes being ready. Yeah. And sometimes people go, oh, that's, that's too risky, whatever. I'm prepared to take a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you look at anybody that you follow or look up to as a role model, one of the reasons why will be because they go first have the courage to go ahead and do something despite being ready. Yeah, yeah. I think I, rec- I recognize that it's a pattern and there's not a number that's going to get that to go away, that yep. fear. And I also recognize it as a lack of confidence in myself because let's say it did, 
let's say my business did crumble tomorrow for some reason. I'm, if I'm so afraid of that, I'm, I'm kind of saying to myself, well, actually, you couldn't rebuild this. But mm. I could rebuild it. Yeah. I could, or I could rebuild something else or something better. Yeah. So I try to look at that way of, like, we've built a huge business. We've built a very successful business. We've, to be honest, we've completely changed. Like, like you're saying, you've changed the industry and the coaching side of, or in the business side of things. We've done that on the rehab side of things. Everyone... Yeah. There's, we have a thousand members, coaches and therapists in the moment, at the moment in our membership yeah. uh, site. And they learn with us every single week yeah. and they're going working with thousands of clients every year. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a, yeah, I, I feel like I, I need to appreciate that and realize like what we've done. It's not been a fluke to get there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I do think a lot of people think like that as well. Like, like you, I actually, you said it, that. You feel like you're undeserving of success yeah. for some reason, even though everything else, all the logical signs point towards, no, like I've done this for yep. a reason. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, there's a, a point there that I want to talk on two things. Um, number one is the concept of this mindset of being a coach and the mindset of being an entrepreneur the coach will focus on the one-to-one. The entrepreneur will focus on the mechanism that allows them to impact one-to-many. Mm-hmm. And if I look at my career, any time that I had these big, massive jumps, whether it was revenue, reputation, opportunity, possibility, it was when I took the jump from focusing on one-to-one to one-to-many. And the benefits of that were twofold. One, I grew as a person. And two, I was able to impact more people. So that's the frame that you need to be looking at when it comes to growing and expanding your business is how do I take this concept from a one-to-one and apply it to a one-to-many and maintain the, the result. If you want to become a smarter, more confident, and more successful coach or therapist in 2024, then our member site, DGR Interactive, is the place to be. You can join over a thousand other coaches and therapists in there. You only need about 15 minutes a week. We have hundreds of hours of content there, but it's all broken down by topic. It's short, sharp, and practical information that will help you become a much more successful movement professional. It will help you earn a lot more money ethically because you are better at helping your clients. join all the other people learning in DJ Interactive. I'll put the link in the show notes and I guarantee you, you'll love it in there. The second thing that I want to talk about is the, the fear of losing it all. And this is a, you know, it's, it's, again, it is important to have empathy for yourself and, you know, not be overly hard on yourself going, why am I always thinking that? Why do you always think like that? You're a failure. That's, that's why you're never going to be successful. All, all that little voice in your head. But whenever it comes to d- decoding that, you have to go, okay, what would I need to do to fail? Write a list. You're never going to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If I did fail, what have I got? Believe it or not, your wealth is not actually the money in your bank account. That plays a, a part in survival. Your wealth is actually your skills. Your wealth is your network of people. So all your previous clients, all your team members, the fact you can pick up your phone and start speaking to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people immediately, mm-hmm. never mind the fact you've got an email list and all this other data that you can use. So how are you going to feel whenever you've got pre-existing skills, pre-existing contacts and connections and evidence that you've done it before? Um 
we're very guilty of awfulizing and looking at something and just completely over-exaggerating what could go wrong. But it's a skill to be able to tame that. And you tame that by detailed self-reflection, being around really good quality people. It makes a big difference. You don't need great friends or you don't need like really smart people to make you happy. That's an external thing, but they're useful. So they can act as this like guardrail to protect you against yourself. And ultimately the best form of defense ultimately comes in your own internal frames and your ability to spot whenever a thought is starting to awfulize and to be able to like annihilate it, you know? Um, Because when you focus on that stuff for too long, you get into these like awful free states. And then when you're in a free street, you lose money. You lose revenue, you lose impact, you lose your energy, you, you, you lose your life force. So for me, all the work that I do and have done has been about how can I maintain the highest level of life force in me? You know, I, I am at my best when I'm making a lot of money, changing a lot of lives, whether that's team, whether that's client, and I'm working through some challenge that, I've got a grip on, but I haven't yet solved it, you know, and I've got the collaborative benefit of other people. And yeah, I mean that, you know, that's mm-hmm. when I'm most alive. And I think, you know, there's an awful, particularly in Ireland, there's an awful shame around like people wanting to make money. You know, I want to make it an incredible amount of money. I want to build my wealth. Why? Because I can do a lot more with my life when I'm wealthy versus when I'm not. Yeah. You know, a really good exercise me and my wife did the other day is okay. Let's let's write out fifty reasons why we should be wealthier this year, and that creates urgency. That creates drive. You know, what are the advantages of you being broke? What are the advantages of you being the same? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for all the physios or health and fitness people that are listening to this, like, what are the advantages of you being broke? You Not know, too many. Yeah. Well, the, the only advantage is that you actually realize that you're in a shit situation yeah. and you've got to do something about it and you've got to actually make some money. That's really yeah, activation the, uh, energy. Yeah. yeah I've right? been broke. Yeah. It's the, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which is a big advantage. For, which is a huge leverage. Once you, get, piece, <laughs> once you get the money, you know, from a, a wealthy perspective, the reasons for being wealth are, you know, so much more significant. Mm-hmm. You can do more things. Yeah. You can help more people. You can help yourself. You can help your family. You can contribute more, you know? So it's an interesting frame. And, you know, one of the most interesting conversations you can have, especially if you have limiting beliefs around money, is, you know, asking your parents, what was your relationship with money when you were growing up? You know, how was money treated in the household? Was it a, a difficult thing to talk about, a hard thing to talk about? Was there all these arguments around it? Um. And you'll begin to see your limiting beliefs around it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Ireland, yeah. there's that, that mindset comes from, like, if I have money, I'm taking it directly off someone else. So it's me or Well, you. it comes from an agricultural mindset, believe it or not. Yeah, um, there's a limited supply. Correct, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah, when you crack that code, you access new levels inside yourself that, you know, you can really do a lot, a lot. Um, you know... There's an infinite amount of clients for an infinite amount of coaches. You could coach all the physios in the world and 
they still wouldn't be able to keep up with the amount of yeah. clients. And you also got to bear in mind that there's people going in and out of business all the time. Yeah. Great physios are stopping because they've got family problems, personal problems. Yeah. Those clients now need to go somewhere else. New people are starting that aren't good at it, that take years to get into it, that quit before they even begin. Mm-hmm. So there's this constant like build and destroy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, last question. I know you have to go. No, you're okay. Um, you're okay. So let's say, so we're at the start of the year, start of 2024. Yep. You are yourself with yep. all your skills that you currently have. Yep. All your knowledge. Yep. Uh, I'm going to take away your network. Yep. Take away your staff, all that stuff. You are a successful coach. Yep. In person, let's say. Yep. And you want to build a big online coaching business. Yep. Not a business mentorship business. Yep. A coaching business. What are the steps? All right. The steps would be really, really simple. The first thing that I would do is get really clear on the problem that I'm solving. And I would map that out visually. So what is the triggering event when somebody starts working with me? What is the end event? What does success look like? And how does that look as a visual representation? That's essentially what I'm selling to the world, right? As in like a a body transformation? A body transformation or or if I'm rehabbing somebody with a specific injury or whatever. So I get clear on the value that I can create based on my skill set based on my experience and based on the results that I've got with myself, because in the world of health and fitness, the majority of coaches are actually just re-coaching themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've been through that and they know the law of the land. So I get clear on that. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't done that, See, trying to create company culture and a vision board for your business and all that kind of stuff without doing that is just entrepreneurial masturbation. Get clear on how you're going to create value for the marketplace first. Then I would look at putting a price point on it. And I would get clear on what's already available in the marketplace. What skill sets am I bringing to the table? What level of experience am I bringing? What track record am I bringing? And I would pick a number. There's no mathematical formula. It's pick a number. Does it feel good? It should scare the shit out of you, but it should also be something where you go, I'm worth that. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be a matter of both. If it's too scary, you'll not sell it and you'll feel like everyone's going to hit you. Don't you don't want people to buy it. Right, exactly, yeah. right? If you feel that it's too cheap, but you think that you can sell it, you'll then end up selling it and be resentful of yeah. actually serving people because you'll realize, fuck, yeah. I've undercharged here. And then you'll get to a point where you get resentful of the client's even though it was you that made that decision. Mm-hmm. So get clear on that. Is, That's there, called is your, there a good time scale to think about like, okay, I'm going to take on a client. Here's a minimum commitment I would like from them. Generally speaking, 90 days, a quarter to work with somebody is enough time to generally, one, give them the bare basic principles, get some form of implementation, get a read on their personality and their level of urgency and create some form of measurable feedback. So 90 days it would be beautiful if we could correlate it for every single person, 97 days, 180. That's not going to work. You got to think like an entrepreneur. You got to go on average, what is going to work? Map that out. That's your offer. So when you get your offer, you then have to look at the five components of an offer, which is how do you create planning for them? How do you create training and skill development for them? How do you create support, accountability? And then eventually, if needed, a community of like-minded people to hang around together. That's your offer. Put a price point on it, create an upfront payment, create a split pay payment of two pay, and then a three pay, 
right? So you have options to lower the bar to get people in who can't afford maybe the initial upfront over 90 days. Then you want to have some form of back-end monthly reoccurring revenue. So that's after the 90 days, there is at least some form of subscription or revenue. Monthly recurring revenue will allow you to wake up in the morning and know exactly what's coming in. It will give you a level of financial control and stability versus always hunting for new leads, which is a never-ending goose chase. Then what you will do is you will start to look at what are the problems of the market, what have they tried before, and start communicating how you can dispel common approaches, how your approach is new and unique, how it's applicable for everybody inside that scenario. Two really important marketing things are new and innovative are very powerful words. If I put new and innovative in front of the stuff that you do all the time, you will buy it. Secondly, you want to make it universally applicable. This is for you even if you don't have a gym. This is for you even if you have one leg. This is for you even if you're 13 years of age. This is for you even if your parents are Jewish, right? You want to make it, uh, you want to make them believe that they can do it no matter what their personal circumstances are. So the niche on that is the niche is not like you are 13 years of age with one leg. This is how people are like, the niche is the problem. The niche is the problem they want to solve. Yeah. And then anyone who wants that problem solved fits in. So, you know, you've probably solved the same problem for a 35 year old than you also have for a 28 year old Gaelic player. Right. So the niche is a problem that you solve. Uh, You can go into like, you know, gender, age and commonalities of people that typically have that stuff. But the problem that you're solving is like, you know, the the niche. Um, That's a really good line. Um, You then want to start communicating to the marketplace and building trust and equity in the minds of the people that are watching. You want to get on stages. You want to get on podcasts. You want to get on places where um, that message can be seen, heard and absorbed. Um, when you get in front of people and you communicate that, then they go, he knows how to solve my problem. I trust him. I'm going to learn more. And then as you market and you show previous bits of social proof and all that kind of stuff, people can then begin to build an impression that you know what you're talking about. If you don't have any social proof, just go, Hey, for the first time, I'm going to be opening up a case study. This is the problem. This is what we're going to do. I want you to be my first case studies. Give some kind of admission to the fact that you're starting out. Then you want to have a sales process. You want to have some basic sales skills and a flow of how to conduct a sales conversation. Or if you've got a lot of authority and demand and you can't do that, run them to a sales page and have that correctly worded. Mm -hmm. It's the same as a sales call, except it's in written word. Then have a process and then map out your customer journey, which is the very thing you did at the start. Triggering event, ending event, and make sure it's got some form of plan, some form of training, support, accountability, and a community if it's a group-based thing. Um. And then have systems inside that, how to leverage social proof, how to use them, have a team inside that to be able to, you know, uh, do the stuff that you don't want to do. Create three lists, what's fascinating, what's frustrating. Um, you don't have a team yet now right. in, th- in this example. Well, if you don't have a, if you don't have a team. What, what, how many clients are you getting to? So if you don't have a t- team, you've got to set yourself, okay, what's the price point? What's the money that I want to make? And what is the amount of time that I can give these clients based on the deliverables? And then essentially go, okay, I'm going to work Monday, Wednesday, Thursday at these hours, create the constraints around your work so that you know what you're building into. And then when I get to this level at this amount of money, I should have enough spare capital X, X tax to be able to buy somebody that comes in at this skill set to come in and do this. Who would you hire first? Sales, the first thing that I would, coach. the first thing that I would hire is somebody to help with fulfillment, i.e inside when a client comes in client problems client challenges because 
You don't want to delegate the marketing. You don't want to delegate the sales because they generate revenue. You want to delegate the thing that keeps revenue, which is essentially the coaching. So when you get a good quality coach in there to shadow and, and echo you, you then take the time that you've just freed up for yourself to go and do more marketing and sales. Then when you get to the point you want to delegate the marketing, the graphic design, the video editing, all that kind of stuff. You then buy back more time so you can focus more time on sales. And then eventually you want to be able to get a sales team in there to give yourself back the time. And then you move to the top and manage the departments. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. So yeah. so by 2025, you'd have a lot of clients. Seven-figure business. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody in the fitness industry, health and fitness industry is capable of having a seven-figure business if they focused on the stuff that they were avoiding. You know? So, you know, if you look at the profit, you know, if you look at the, the money that you generate... And let's just, let's just, you know, everybody do this. If you look at the, the money that you have in your bank account right now, what is it doing? How are you making it productive? Do you like looking at it and going, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe? Or do you go to the mindset of an entrepreneur to go, okay, I'm looking at my business. I hate doing this. I hate waking up with that. I hate how I feel here. Okay, how could I change that? Well, I could hire. I could get somebody to build a system. I could elevate my skill set. Or I could get somebody to show me the way. Okay, out of that money that I've got, am I willing to let go of some of that money in order to access these new things or these new feelings or this time? And that's either a yes or no question. The problem is, is people don't know how to ask those questions in their head and they're anchored by the limiting beliefs of feeling safe. So that's how, you know, building a business to to feel safe or, you know, just focusing on always not going broke is going to really just destroy you. Because you'll not let go of the energy, the money that you've already built up to create more money. It, you know, the, the old traditional sayings mean a lot. It takes money to make money. Use your profit margin to buy skills. Use your profit margin to buy team. Use your profit margins to free your time up. You know, I see, I work with so many coaches that are cash rich, but time starved. Yeah. Yeah, that's not rich. That's just that's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, you know, I'll respect you if you know, can you wake up in the morning, you know, and say to yourself, I'll do whatever I want today. Can you wake up in the morning and go and walk to your office and walk away from it without being tied down to an appointment? Mm-hmm. You know, look at your calendar and your calendar will reveal all the stuff that you are doing out of obligation. Versus the stuff that you want to do. So I look at my calendar all this week, all next week. Everything in it is stuff that energizes me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in there that doesn't energize me. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, you have to create that. You have to be ruthless with that. You build your way into that. But, you know, if you've been running a health and fitness business for five, six, seven years, 10 years, you know, screw how qualified you think you are. If you're working 40 hours a week, you're an irresponsible business owner because you haven't had the fucking balls to build and hire a team or build the systems to get yourself out of your own way so that you can be more creative, more innovative, more energized and better beacon of hope for your clients and also your team. You know, you can only go so far on your own. You know, I think a lot of business owners really need to have a good firm look at what is holding me back. What am I afraid of? And it's fear of going broke as a fear of somebody, you know, (laughs) the most idiotic belief that I see a lot is nobody can do as good a job as me. That is the most idiotic, selfish, bullshit excuse ever. If you think that, 
just look at how much effort you've put into trying to find that person. Or two, if you've had somebody before that hasn't done a good job, how well did you lead them? How well did you train them? Did you take them on at a point in time where you actually were in the midst of dealing with all the chaos and didn't actually have a proper onboarding plan, training plan, measurement plan? How much did you invest in that team? Do you spend, you know, ultimate question, do you spend more time with your clients or training your team? And if you're spending more time with your clients, it's no surprise your business is stuck and you're not growing. You know, I think people are very proud when they say that like, no one can do as good a job as me, but actually it's a reflection that you can't train people. It's not something to be proud yeah. of. It's yeah. the opposite. Well, there's people on my team that are smarter than me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I know where my superpowers are and you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be necessarily the center of attention in my business. I want my business to be dependent upon the team, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, switch the focus from I to we. Do you think you, you know? could go away and your business would still thrive? Yeah, I'm away to Dubai next week for seven days and I won't work. Away for a longer time, a longer yeah. period of time. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the eventual plan is, you know, I plan to step down as CEO in the next year and a leadership team will take over. Um, you know, you get some people, I, I work with, you know, predominantly now I, I work with, you know, seven figure, eight figure business owners are really high end six figure. Um, sometimes they just want a little bit of personal time with me and I enjoy it. It's quite stimulating, but you know, for the majority of five, six, and even good majority of seven figure business owners, we've already got the system, the team in place that gets them incredible results with boosting profit, getting more clients, all that kind of stuff. And they're more interested, you know, genuinely should be more interested in getting results for your business than working with a person. So I'm, you know, not necessarily, um, needed in my business. Yeah. Those um, people need to do the basics well. Yeah. I it's mean, I, I, we, we've got a mechanism and a system that gets results. So business comes in with common set of problems that the market has, does the stuff, gets the help it needs, comes out the other end prosperous, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that whole cycle and everything has been, en- been meticulously engineered. And we meet as a team every single week to ensure that Quality is retained. What do we need to change? What do we need to innovate? What do we need to pull out? What do we need to destroy? All that kind of stuff, you know? Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Um, So I've heard you talk about on your podcast uh, about humble bragging recently. Yep. And almost being afraid to like show some of your success in the past. Yep. And even in this podcast, you've mentioned how like, You've mentioned some of your success. You've mentioned some of the people are many, how, how big a business you've built. Yeah. So you've changed your mindset a little bit on that recently, even like business wise and personal wise, I've yep. showing a little bit of wealth and stuff. Yep. I think I, everyone has, a lot of coaches have this problem on some level where even when they go on holidays, they're afraid to show that they're, they won't, they're afraid to take a picture in Spain on the beach because, oh, I'm an online coach. I should be at home in the gym or whatever. Yeah. What, what made you change your mindset on showing some of that wealth and do you think it's a positive do you think it's something to that people will aspire to rather than look down upon when you start to show some of that okay so a couple of points in this there's always going to be some dick on social media that postures to the point where it's just blatantly annoying Mm -hmm. i.e they're standing in front of a car they're saying look at me and it's obvious that they're doing it yeah it's fake it's, it's, it's fake. They wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. 
I'll just interrupt you for one sec, because even some people listening to this podcast, when they hear you speaking earlier, I'm sure they will think like that as well. Yeah. Like this guy is bragging yeah. here. Yeah. But if you've actually done it. Yeah. So let me, let me decode, decode all of it because it, it will really help you liberate your life and understand it better. Um, we all know those individuals that posture and brag, and you can tell how long somebody's been at a particular level by how hard they posture. Um, and when you actually look underneath the hood, there's not much substance to it. So for me, I always, I hustled and hustled and hustled and I, you know, lived very frugally for the majority of my life. I wasn't brought up for money. I didn't come from, I came from a very middle-class family. I was always brought up with a mindset, Irish mindset of money doesn't grow on trees and, you know, don't get too big and don't get too cocky and all this kind of stuff. And then when I actually started to realize that cockiness is very obvious because it's like false confidence. And I began to realize that all the people that I look up to and follow myself are all successful. And there's some symbol of their success that they aren't afraid to show. And then I went, well, there's a lot of people like interested in learning from me and whatever. Well, Right. What are they seeing that's inspirational? What are they seeing? And I turned a blind eye to the fact that I always used to celebrate with my clients and my wins and my community and my events and all that kind of stuff. And that's not what my clients were actually looking for. My clients were looking for somebody that was worth modeling. So they were looking for an entrepreneur that was successful. And there had to be like signs of that success. They were looking for a family man they were looking for, you know, a home. They were looking for freedom. They were looking for intellectual capability, skill, or somebody that can articulate powerfully and clear, clearly. Um, so there was elements of my life that I weren't showing that would have been inspirational to somebody on the journey mm -hmm. towards their own success. And I, you know, I didn't show a lot of that because, you know, I kind of came from like an old money mindset of, and I always had this belief that a wealthy man doesn't need to show you that he's, or tell you that he's wealthy. And I still would have that. But I realized that I was actually hiding out of insecurity. What would people think? Are people going to think I'm just in it for the money? Are people going to, and then I realized I'm really good at what I do. Like I literally have that many testimonials and case studies that I get literally like desensitized to seeing more of them. Um, why am I not living life and being true to myself? Why am I creating a character that is guarded, not enjoying the fruits of his labor and not living my life on my terms? And then I realized, okay, let's test the water with this. And my perspective changed one day when I had four people that would be, you know, you, you, everybody here will most likely follow them or know who they are on the internet. And, you know, I work with a lot of celebrities in the, in this health and fitness world behind the scenes, some private and some not so private, most of them private. Cause I, I kind of like, again, it's not really my main vocal point, but they came to my house for the first time and they weren't clients at the time. And, um, they were literally mesmerized by what they saw. Yeah. Um, they didn't know it existed. Yeah. Um, for anyone listening, 
I can testify to that. <laughs> Phil's house and just all of this area here is fantastic. And long story short, they all became clients within a week of that because they basically said, hey, I never knew you had that. It completely overwhelmed me and made me realize that I was playing way too small and I actually want to be in the proximity of you and I know that I can learn from you and your team and your systems and whatever and I want to become a client. And that was the minute for me where I was like, there's people out there that need help that don't necessarily see the people that can help them because they are hiding behind you know this barrier of insecurity or i mean for me it was like i didn't want to show my stuff because one it wasn't the thing that i led with two i didn't want everybody looking at me and following me just because i uh you know had a car or had a nice house i didn't want to attract that kind of person I don't want to attract the kind of business owner that just wants to make more money. I talk about multidimensional success. You know, I know a lot of people and as do all the listeners and probably you that have a lot of money, but are out of shape, have a horrendous relationship with their wife, have her like are divorced three or four or five times. That's not a life worth modeling. So, you know, for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to lean into this and I'm actually just going to show my life raw, authentically what it is because you get rewarded for that. And I mean, it's the same with like six pack abs, right? You know, six week program, give them what they want on the front end, give them what they need once they're on the inside. And, you know, I've, I've subtly started showing natural bits of my day to day. Sometimes my a part of my car might be seen in a corner of a video. You might see me out shooting with, you know, uh, you know, I, I shoot with, some of the wealthiest people in the, in the entire country of UK, Ireland, whatever. Um, and, you know, I have, a, I have a, an incredible lifestyle, but, you know, for a lot of people, they go, I, I want a piece of that, or I can learn from that. How has he been able to do that? You know, I came from you know, being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and not having a pound in my pocket to follow on through and have, like, I, I get to, you know, I live life on my own terms now. You know, I, I can I can do what I want with my time. And it's a very rare scenario for somebody at 35 to be able to have, have done that. Like, I haven't had a big company sale or anything like that, but I've got the flexibility and yeah. the, the, the space. Um, so, you know, the same applies with your clients. If you're not comfortable humbly bragging about why you're so good and why people should work with you, you're going to lose business. Mm-hmm. So I see, particularly in your world, I've got a qualification of this, or they don't know what they're talking about because they didn't cite the journal of fucking physiotherapy in 1981 where the study <laughs> found out that actually if you move the, the ankle at this dorsiflexion angle, that is not going to get you business. What is going to get you business is taking out your fucking phone and going, I've had an incredible day at the clinic because I've just spoken with three people that are now living life completely differently yeah. to when they first started. Yeah. And you know what? I'm damn good at what I do. Yeah. Right. That is going to inspire people to go, wow. Yeah. Right. So if you can think about this one second, wow, whenever you create things, nobody cares about the academic journal of X and Y and the biomechanics of the fucking ankle. Yeah, you should know that anyway. 
Exactly. Your clients don't give a shit. They, they expect you to know that. They don't care. Yeah. All they care is about the outcome. And that's why in a sales process, you know, it's like, hey, we'll work on your tibia and we'll activate the muscles in your one, two, three, four, five, and we'll make sure that, you know, um, the fibers are aligned and, you know, there's no hypertonicity. Is that even a word? <laughs> anyway, I'm making up words. Uh, versus, hey, do you know what? We'll take care of everything. We'll give you a clear plan to follow so that you know that you're doing everything you can to mm-hmm. be able to walk again. Mm-hmm. Right? That is how you need to be talking. And that that is actually, it's a skill. It's a level of mastery to be able to take something advanced as that and distill it down. But there's also the business, uh, like acumen and intellect to understand how to communicate that to a customer whose brain is not developed in the way that yours is. Yeah. Um, so that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. It can be done tastefully, I think. Yeah, and it's a skill. It's practice. I mean, if you're not if you're not going to learn that stuff, don't complain about being broke or not making enough money. Yeah. You have to go out of your way to learn the stuff. Yeah, hundred so, percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Phil, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, having a spin in the Ferrari now. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to um, let people know where they can find you or anything like that? Yeah, I I I, I run two podcasts. So. We've got the Fitness Entrepreneur Podcast, which is for anything health and fitness business related. And then I've just started my own new personal brand podcast, Phil Graham, Life in Your Terms, which is very much my thinking about my life. And um, we have a, a YouTube channel that's starting this like any, any month now after this audience or after this podcast. Um, and Phil Graham on Instagram, I'm very easily found. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come up and see me and interview me. And uh, I never knew you used to work for Glambia, so... <laughs> I don't, I don't tell people that too often. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So okay. uh, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Phil. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Bye.